And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they receive them and have come to know in the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But, but, now, I am, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because, well, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, 
and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Father in heaven, I, I can think of many, many magnificent and wonderful places in this world that would be so incredible to be in and see and experience, Lord, but I can't this morning think of a better place than to be together with my brothers and sisters and you, lifting high your name in worship, turning our focus to you, once again looking and seeing what you did for us as you rode into town as people celebrated your coming looking for really wonderful things from you and then for you to lay your life down for us people who are not worthy ah Lord but what a wonderful thing that you have risen from the dead and you are now at work in the hearts of each one that you call your child Father, I'm asking now that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on us, that you would open our eyes to be able to see you, that you would open our hearts, that we would be able to receive what you have for us today. Lord, declare your word. I pray that there would not be a distraction, but that people would hear from you and see you clearly today. Draw the unsaved unto yourself and strengthen us, Lord, who are your glory bearers because we are in relationship with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I got myself into trouble when, when it came to what should be preached or what we would be preaching. And it, I was given the task of um, talking, about, talking about what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like. And, uh, and I, you know, you're given 40 minutes to talk about something that's eternally big. How in the world do you do that? And uh, today I kind of stepped in it again. They said, I, I said, you know what, I'll preach Palm Sunday. This is like three months ago or whenever um, it was. And uh, Palm Sunday, I'm like, okay, everyone knows that story. Lord, what do you want me to preach? We know that you rode into town victoriously on the back of a donkey. People celebrated your coming. They were there because they wanted to see something magnificent from you. We know that happened. And you know what, as I look and as I consider what that scene must have been like, and I see palm branches and us like gently waving them, I think it was more like what these kids down front were doing. And you'll see palm branches laying everywhere because of how vigorous they were in their expression of the waving of their palm branches. I think that's more what it was like. Hey, have you thought through why you're even here today? Because those that came, according to John chapter 12, those that came to see Jesus riding into town came because he had just raised a man from the dead. So they knew he was capable of the miraculous. And I believe they were there because they knew he was capable of doing miraculous things. So let me ask you the question today, why are you even here? Did you come in order to experience that deep, level, spirit-driven, 
miraculous relationship that you share with Jesus Christ, looking to see what he's going to do in and through you and through the life of this church. I hope that's why you're here. So I am nervous about this one. Kingdom of God, really big. But as I came to this high priestly prayer, the guy said, are you going to preach the whole thing? And I said, yeah. And as I got into it, I realized that's an absolute impossibility. And here's why. Because here's what I'm realizing in this prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus was concerned about one thing, actually two things. But the first most critical thing that he was most concerned with was the glory of God the Father. The glory of God the Father. So we're going to take a look at what the glory of God the Father really is. Jesus' responsibility in expressing that for the Father and then him taking that very glory that God the Father extended to him and he hands it to us. The glory of God is eternally big. And he has handed it over to us in order to spread to a world that's watching. Verse 1 John chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Listen to this. The hour had finally come. Knowing of this hour since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. For our Savior's final earthly act of sacrifice and love and obedience and humility to God the Father, the time had finally come. He had accomplished everything that the Father had given him to do, everything, every, even in his last hour. His entire focus was on the glory of God the Father and the good of his people. That's what we see in this prayer. Even though he was about to face the most torturous death known to mankind, his thoughts were not on himself, but his thoughts and prayers were focused on the Father and on us. Think about this now. Let's say tomorrow you knew was your last day of life here on earth. Tomorrow's your last day. What would your prayer life look like today? Between now and the time you knew you would die, what would your prayer life look like today? Here's what mine would look like. It would be full of repentance and regret. I would take a look into my past. I would take a survey of my life. I would measure my heart experiences and I would see the places where over and over and over and over again, I failed my Lord and Savior to declare his glory. That's what I would do. I'd spend a whole lot of time repenting and confessing. I would also be spending a whole lot of time in thanksgiving as I also look over the course of my life and I see the manifold blessing that God poured out on my life. I can stand before you today, church, and because of Jesus Christ in me, I am absolutely full. I have nothing else to ask from the Lord. I am so thankful for the lifetime of blessing that he has extended to me. My prayer would be full of thanksgiving. What would yours look like? My prayer would also be concerned because I know I'm about to leave. Tomorrow I'm out of here. My family, the one, me being the one that has protected them, that has provided them, has for them, has led them, I'm now gone. And so my head starts to wonder, my heart starts to wonder, who's actually going to provide for my family? Who's actually going to protect them? 
This is what my prayer would look like. What about yours? Jesus' final prayer, recorded here in John chapter 17, 26 verses. 26 verses. There's not an ounce of selfishness. All was about the glory of God the Father. Jesus had no reason to repent. He was perfect in all he did. He had no regrets because he had completely accomplished every work that God the Father laid out for him to do. He lived a perfect life. But his prayer, we see, was full of concern for his family, for us, for his disciples. He knew that they would feel exposed. He knew that they would be exposed. Jesus is the one who stood between them and the enemy when Jesus was on earth at this time. And he knew that soon the enemy's attack would turn on the disciples and they would not just feel exposed, but they would be exposed because Jesus wasn't there to take the heat of the battle as the disciples stood behind him. Yes, his prayer would be full of concern. I think about what it feels like to be exposed. I think about what it means for our kids to be exposed. I remember a time, I shared this with you before, when Caden was two, he toddled around the corner of a building in Grand Haven on a busy weekend evening, gone. Why is that so terrifying for the parent? Because you know your child is not ready for what the world has for him. Parents who watch their kids leave the house and off to college, you know they're exposed to the things that the world is going to bring and the attack of the enemy, and you think in your heart and your soul that they're not ready for that. You know, here's another example for you. A couple of years ago, our senior pastor, uh, he resigned, and I'm the executive pastor here, um, one of the teaching pastors overseeing adult ministries, but here's, here's what happened to me. The senior pastor, Ken, He's the one that stood between the church and us. At least that's the way it felt for me. He's the one that took the beating from the disgruntled member and attender. He's the one that did the speaking for and to the church. He's the one that was the answer man. And now he's gone, and guess what? I felt absolutely exposed. Jesus knew that his disciples were about to be exposed upon his leaving And he knew they would feel that way as well. Today's big question is this. This really big and deep and meaningful and powerful prayer that Jesus prayed. This is the big question. Why does this prayer matter so much to us? And I want you to mark this down. This is why it matters so much to us. Because now it's up to us. Jesus is gone in the flesh And he turns responsibility over to the disciples and they pass it on down from one generation to the next to us. It's up to us now. Jesus left. The Father had given Jesus his glory. Jesus passes it on to the disciples and the disciples from one generation to the next pass it down to us. This prayer is a big deal because it's now up to us. God is absolutely, church, about getting his glory He got it, and he will continue to get it. And as we walk down through this passage today, these are highlights of expressions of God's glory and his expectations for us, the church. And so there are a few things that we need to understand about Jesus and learn from him, learning from his experience. And here's the first thing. Jesus was entirely about the glory of God the Father. 
He was not about it on his own. Verse 1 says, God, Father, glorify me so that, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. God's glory did not stop as he poured it out on his Son, Jesus Christ. It didn't stop with him. Jesus didn't sit down and revel in the truth that he had just been filled with the glory of God the Father. He took it and he passed it on. He didn't hoard it. He shared it, he reflected it, and he passed it on. Glory. When you hear the word glory, what do you think of? I don't, it's really hard to define something that is, a, it, that is the perfect description or, or reflection of who, excuse me, who God is. Glory is this. It's the purest and most complete expression of who God is. It's the purest and most complete expression of who God is. And who better to declare the glory of God than the Trinity itself? God the Father extends it to the Son. The Son is completely glorified by God the Father, can perfectly do it. The Trinity, the the Holy Spirit, being one of the three, possesses the fullness of the glory of God. He, our God, is the only one that can perfectly declare his own glory. And God the Father sends it to Jesus, this most complete expression of who he is, and he extends it on to us. Listen, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we stand responsible. But here's the danger for us. When we come into relationship with God, we now have the Holy Spirit of God in us, and it's so easy for us to sit down and not move and just simply celebrate what Jesus has done for us and that we are now saved. But just as Jesus accomplished every work that God the Father laid out for him, he has works that he intends. Once we come into relationship with him, he has things that he intends for us to do in order to declare the glory of God. Of God. We can be guilty of um, hoarding God's glory. So I want you to take a moment and think about that. How do you do that? How are you one that is slow to declare and display the glory of God? You're just simply happy to be in relationship with him. You know, I think about this prayer. I think about the prayer I would pray. I think about the prayer Jesus prayed. You know what's really crazy? Now imagine your prayer Tomorrow, you're going to die the most horrendous death you can think. How would that change your prayer? Jesus was about to walk to the cross, and he was still. Even though knowing he was going to die on a cross, he still has his focus completely on the glory of God the Father and our good. Jesus was entirely about the glory of God the Father. Here's another one we, can, we need to see about the person of Jesus, that he was entirely about the good of the disciples. And he was entirely about the good of the church. Look at verses two, three, and four. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is it right here, number or verse four. I glorify you on earth. How? How did Jesus glorify God on earth? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. God the Father gave him things to do and it was completely accomplished. 
And that's what brought God the Father glory. Look at how he did it. He does this by giving. Jesus is unselfish. He is humble in his submission to God the Father. In the next 20 verses, we see, starting at verse 6, completed work is that Jesus manifested the Father's name to those who were his. And when I think about this, Jesus displayed God the Father to his disciples. If you go back to 14, chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm about to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come again that I'd take you back to where, where I am so that you may be there also. And one of the disciples said, Lord, we don't know the way. What's the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip, Philip says this. They still had a bit of bewilderment about who this Jesus was. And this is what he says. Show us the Father, Jesus. Show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And Jesus says to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus was the perfect expression of who God the Father is. This is our Lord. The perfect expression. He manifested his Father's name to his disciples. Verse 8. He also gave his word knowing that it would be necessary to train us in all things that pertain to life and godliness. He would not leave us without his word. He passed it on to the disciples. He knew that eventually we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew that we would need his word. And so in verse eight, we see he gave his word. He extended it, work completed, accomplished work. Verse 12, he kept, he guarded the disciples in the Father's name. That's what he did. When Jesus was on earth, he protected the disciples. A couple of things come to mind when I see that, and this is one of them. I see Peter sinking in the water, and you know what Jesus said? Reach out your hand. I'll take you. I'm going to save your life right now. Protected, he protected Peter. I think about a time when they were in the boat and the waves get, Jesus is asleep in the bow of the ship and the waves start getting crazy and the wind is really strong and they cry out to him. And guess what he does? He stands up and he commands the waters and the winds to be still. And in a moment, this incredible peace went over, protecting his disciples. And I think about, I think about what it means to be exposed. Jesus, he's the one that stood between the disciples and the Pharisees, the religious elite. He's the one that spoke. He's the one that stood between. He's the one that protected the disciples from the schemes of the enemy. All eyes were on him because in that moment, while Jesus was here, he possessed the fullness of the glory of God and the world hated him for it and their attacks were against him while he was here and he knew he was about to leave. But while he was here, he accomplished this work by keeping and protecting the disciples. And I think about who this Jesus is that protects and provides and reveals God the Father. I see this one who is about the, de- the declaring of the glory of God. I see him, this Jesus, the perfect expression of the glory of God, and this is where I break. Look at verse 22. 
Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, he says that to God the Father, I have given to them. Jesus had accomplished all the work. Nothing was left undone and the hour had come for his final act that will make it possible for us to receive God's glory and portray it. How humbling is that? How humbling is that? Why is this prayer, why does this prayer matter so much to us? It's because it's up to us now. It's up to us, the church, as we receive the Holy Spirit of God, when we bow our knee to him and come into relationship with him, it is now up to us to be the ones that declare the glory of God the Father. Think about it this way. So, spoiler alert for the Marvel fans. I've given you three weeks to see this, but uh, you know the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's a spinoff of um, the Marvel comics, and you had these two individuals. Uh, the, the first episode just showed a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and so the world's in turmoil, and at the end of the first episode, the, the world's all out of whack. And someone says, we need a brand new hero. We need a hero. And so, after the service, if I have ruined this for you, you haven't watched it yet, I'm, you come on up and I'll ask your forgiveness, but I'm going to tell exactly what happens at the end of this episode, okay? This is what happens. We need a new hero. Captain America is gone. We need someone to fill his shoes. We need someone for the people to look at. And then between the pillars of this magnificent building steps up another guy wearing Captain America's uniform holding a shield. And in the moment, I'm like, you can't do that. You can't do that. Captain America is the only Captain America. Maybe have a substitute wearing a different uniform saying this is who we're going to look to, but there is no way someone can step in and take the shoes of Captain America. There's only one. There's only one. That's kind of how how I feel right now. Jesus, the perfect expression of God in his glory, would be the right one to be around expressing his glory to a watching world, to a sinful and a fallen world. Yet he goes away, and this is what happens. He goes away and he says, now I am giving this to you, disciples. The disciples are fully exposed now. The Holy Spirit of God is being poured into them. They now possess the Holy they now possess the glory of God and he expects them to take it and reveal it to a world that's watching. Yet we're the guys and the girls that are standing representing him. We're the we're the fake Captain America when the real one is the one that does it best. So start measuring yourself as you think about this. How good do you do right now at declaring the glory of God the Father? It's up to us now. The Father takes his glory, gives it to Jesus. Jesus passes it to the disciples, and now we have it. Now think about this. You, you wanna, here's a mind-blowing thought. In, in Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, you see Moses in the presence of God. And Moses says, show me, show me your glory. God, please show me your glory. And what does he say to Moses? God says, I can't do that. If I show you my glory, it will incinerate you. 
It will destroy you. You cannot look upon my glory because it will it'll destroy you. I'll let you look at my goodness, but you can't see my glory. This same glory that would have destroyed Moses if he saw it, the moment we come into relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, one of the three perfect displayers of the glory of God, comes into your life and you possess that glory. That is mind-blowing to me. We should all be incinerated right now. But God has chosen according to his sovereign and perfect plan that when the Holy Spirit of God comes into us, we have the glory of God. And we can't just sit on it. And this is why it's such a big deal. Why this prayer matters so much to us? Because it's now up to us. And Jesus knew we would need his prayers. And he prayed a few things as we're about to see. He prayed knowing that the enemy would attack. Remember, he's gone. The disciples stand exposed. The same glory that irritated the world and caused it to hate him has now been given to us. And now, he says it, that with the hate that the world had for him, it's now on us. And, the atten- just, and now that Jesus is not here, the enemy's attack has turned from him and it's, and it's turned on to us. He knows that the enemy would attack, so he prays for us. Look at verse 15. I do, not task to, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Wouldn't it be great the moment we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, bam, we're gone and we're in heaven. That would be so wonderful. But he says, nope, they're going to be in the world. And so I pray for them. And he prays that we would be protected from the evil one. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for those that he would devour, but he can't devour us because the protection of God is on us. And we have Jesus who has prayed for us and continues to pray for us even today, according to Hebrews chapter 7. He's constantly making intercessions for us, praying to God the Father as he stands next to him. He knew that the enemy would attack, so he prayed. He knew that our ability would be insufficient, and so he prays for our ongoing sanctification. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The moment you come into relationship with God the Father, yes, you, through Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit given to you. You possess this magnificent glory that he wants you to display to your neighbors, your family, your friends, your everybody. That's what he wants you to do. But when you come into relationship with him, with him you're not very good at it. And so what sanctification is, that's just a fancy word for growing in your relationship with the Lord and looking more and more like him. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 puts it this way, that we're to put off our old selves. This is what it means to grow, to put off our old selves, which belongs to the former manner of life before you come into relationship with Jesus and it's corrupt and deceitful desires. And then to be renewed in the spirit of your minds as you spend time in the word of God and in relationship with him and with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, as your mind is being renewed, to put on the new self, which is created after what? The likeness of God in righteousness 
and holiness. The moment you come into relationship with Jesus, this is your process. And his hope and his desire for you, and it will happen, is that you would continue to grow in your relationship with him, taking on his likeness, declaring his glory. So he prays for that. Sanctification is not easy. At the end of chapter 16, just before this, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what he says. You know trouble. When I say that word trouble, I wonder what comes to your mind. But I want you to think, how has God used that trouble in my life to make me look more like Jesus? Because my experience is it takes that trouble to make me look more like Jesus. Jesus knew that we would need to grow in our relationship with him, so he prayed. Jesus knew that the enemy would attack, and he also knew that our unity would also be under attack. Look at verse 20. I don't ask for these only. I don't ask for these only, the disciples, but he then prays for us, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And here we go. Look at how many times he refers to being one. Verse 21, that they may know or or that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. How magnificent is that? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prayed that brothers and sisters in Christ would be unified. What an amazing prayer. And the purpose behind it is so that they would know, is so that the world would know that the Father sent Jesus That's our unity. That's its purpose. I know you think sometimes when you think about the church that you can, some names might be popping to your mind right now. Like it's really hard to be unified with that person. It's really hard to be unified with those people. They don't think like me. It makes it really hard to be in relationship with them. But let me provide you a word of encouragement here. We're talking about Jesus. He's given us his glorious Holy Spirit. When Wendy and I first got married, there was this spiritual gift called tongues that we did not agree on. And I'm telling you what, it was rough every time that discussion came up. So guess what we did? We're still married, so we didn't get a divorce over that. Guess what we did? We stopped talking about it and we just gave it to the Lord. And if you were to tell, if you were to have told me 20 years ago that we would be more unified over that gift than we ever, than we were back then, I wouldn't have believed it. Not for a moment because our heels were both dug in. We weren't moving and we are very unified today over that. We can talk about it. I think we could even together teach on that. If God can unify us in that. He can unify any brokenness in this church. How about this? Jesus, he had two disciples. One was a zealot. 
that couldn't stand Rome. Couldn't stand Rome. Simon. He would rather rise up against Rome and insurrections and shoot people than to to side with them for anything. Then there's another disciple named Matthew, and guess what he was? He was a tax collector. He believed in being in relationship with Rome as it would benefit him. Now imagine those two guys in the same room. I wonder what that was like when the tax collector and the zealot sat around the same table with Jesus. But guess who we're talking about? We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. He can bring peace and unity to the most broken relationship that you can possibly think of. And so I wonder right now what name or what person is coming to mind right now that Jesus needs to step into. He prayed for our unity that we would be one so that the world would see and know that he came from God the Father. Church, listen to this. We get to be a part of the most incredible and glorious legacy. What an incredible privilege it is for us to be asked to be declarers of the glory of God the Father. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And guess what he does? Now that he has all of the authority that God the Father has extended to him, this is what he says to us. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. They're not exposed. They are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence with us as we move forward into this incredible privileged mission that he has given the church to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. That's what we're to about to be about. And in Matthew chapter 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise the Lord. So no matter how broken we are in expressing the glory of God, He has given it to us, and he is going to use you, brother and sister in Christ, to be a part of the building and establishment of his church. All right, so listen, here's your great takeaway. This is what I want you to get home with. Why is this such a big deal to us? Why is this prayer so big to us? It's simply because he now leaves it up to us to declare the glory of God, and we need his prayers. We need his help. Revel in the truth that you get to be a part of the only thing in all of eternity that has an eternal consequence. As you display the glory of God, you are impacting lives for all of eternity. Do not sit on the glory of God. Don't just sit at the foot of the cross and revel in your salvation. Take it and use it as God intends you to. I love it that Jesus is still praying for us. This is our call, church, to declare the glory of God. You were born into this world to declare the glory of God. All right, now listen, if you are, if you are with us today and all this sounds crazy to you and that, that God would send his glory to us, if none of this makes sense to you, look at verse three. I wanna make this crystal clear. Sometimes, sometimes listen, if you're unsaved and you're here with a friend or a family member and 
they've been confusing as it relates to what all this gospel message is and the glory of God is. Hey, we are all in process. So I'm asking for your patience. But this is the message that Summit Church wants to communicate to you. Look at verse three. This is eternal life. That you, that they know you, Jesus says to God the Father. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the gospel message as crystal clear as it can be. What does it mean to be saved and to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to be claimed by him? It means you believe in God the Father and that Jesus Christ came for him, from him, for your sake He goes on to what we'll see next Friday night to lay his life down, give his life so that we could come into relationship with God the Father through him. We are all sinners separated from the grace of God and we need what happens at the cross. If you haven't given your life to the Lord, you stand exposed to the enemy and all that he has for you. I implore you, I plead with you, consider relationship with Jesus Christ. Come in underneath the sovereign protection of his hand, protecting you from the enemy, enemy causing you to grow and give your life to him. Next Friday, This coming Friday, we're going to be in here again and we're going to take a look at the death of Jesus Christ and what that means to us. Please be here because that is our entrance into the kingdom of God. What an incredible mission he has laid out for us that we would be bearers of his glory. Father in heaven, it brings me peace to know that you still pray for us, that you said this prayer that you would entrust to us the glory of God the Father. Lord, grow us in that. And may we as your church, Summit Church, be the ones that declare your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone. Cornerstone, weak made strong, 
you, but I am so glad that when he says it's up to you, he doesn't just say, now go do it 100% right off the bat as soon as you wake up the next day. He says, no, no, you're going to fall and I know it. And the sanctification process is a process. And as Titus 2 says, my grace is not only sufficient for your salvation, but to train you to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in the present age. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that will grow us. Jesus, pray for us. The scripture tells us that he continues to pray for us. Don't 
we desperately need it, church. Oh, what a service that has put our eyes back on the summit to remind us what life is all about, making disciples, resting in the grace of God, reflecting on Jesus and who he is and our purpose here on earth. Father, help us to glorify you as your son did in our individual bodies and our lives and together as Summit Church. God is good. God is so good. Thank you for dying, Jesus, on the cross and rising from the dead. I want you to know that we are here for you if you need anything, if you need someone to talk to, if you've been wrestling with over what the salvation is and what it means to become a Christian, what it means to be saved, have your sins forgiven and you're still unsure. This is what we're here for. You come talk to us. We'll have someone up here in front. We've got a chili cook-off going on in the gym, and if you're coming, we're excited to see you. We, we're going to have a good time tasting some chili, and we hope you have a wonderful week as we reflect on the passion of the Lord, His death, and His resurrection, and we'll see you Friday. God bless.